Well, really good morning, everybody. Hi, great to see you today. And today we are continuing our series, which we've called More. And I'm trying to be super high tech today and do the microphone and the things, which means I must remember to speak into this one and press this one and not the other way around. So bear with. So can we just put the first slide up, Bex? Is that okay? Are we there? No, we need to go back a little touch. There we go. So this is the third week in our series looking at more. And if you've been around for the previous two, you'll know that this comes from just a kind of sense that some of us have been feeling, not just in this church, but across the wider church, that that there is more to come, that God has more for us as individuals, as a church family, as a city and as a nation. And in looking at that, we've been looking at particularly what it is that Jesus did, the fact that Jesus died and rose again, We're not asking for more than that, but what we're asking for is more of God's spirit to come and make that real to us, make us aware of how to live that out and to live more fully engaged with him day to day in that. And so that's what this series is about. And if you have, if you missed the previous two talks, you can click online and go and find them there. And Paul spoke last week really helpfully about some of the things that we can do to actually just step in to the more of God. And this week, I'm going to be thinking... Well, yeah, a little bit really about the cost of more. But before we get there, I just wanted you to have a moment just to kind of think and just imagine what might more of God actually look like in reality in different spheres. We know who God is, many of us. Many of us have heard about God or learned about God over a number of years. We know that he has lots of different names. We know he's known as Father. He's Father God. We know that he's known as the Prince of Peace. We know that he's the light of the world. We know he's one who brings hope, who gives us love, who is just, who is kind. So many different characteristics. And so my first question is, and I wonder if you might bear with me, you might want to close your eyes and just spend a moment thinking, what would it mean to have more of that God in your life as a person? What could that look like? And let's have a deal amongst us, shall we? Look, if you kind of slope, slope sideways or snore, your neighbour will give you a little nudge. But if it's helpful to close your eyes and not be distracted, just think, what might more of God look like in my life as an individual person? Perhaps you're on a journey looking into faith at the moment and more of God might just be more clarity. Perhaps you've been walking with him for a while. Perhaps that might be more adventure, more peace, more provision, more help. So now let's just carry on imagining what might more of God look like in your family, either your close family or your extended family. If we really were to have more of his spirit, What might that look like? And perhaps you're thinking about reconciliation in relationships. Perhaps you're thinking about someone being healed of mental health issues. So come on, let's stick with this. Let's get a bit bigger. What would it look like to have more of God in the street where you live or in your community? More of God in the place where you work or you spend most of your time? might that really look like in practice and perhaps you're thinking about the lonely being brought into families or creative solutions to problems that have been around in the workplace for a long time and let's step out again what might more of God really look like in the place where you live in your city or your town 
or even, dare we say, in our nation? What if God were to really come and visit us and we were to have more of God in the UK? What might that look like? And in my mind's eye, I can see all kinds of social problems that are being solved and people who are living out the best them that God ever meant them to be in all kinds of spheres and arenas. And you know, as we've been imagining, I actually think that God's been speaking to a number of us, that he's been putting little dreams into our minds and hearts about what it is he actually wants to do. Because this more is something that he wants to bring and he wants to give. He wants to pour out his presence in such a way that the whole of our lives and our families and our streets and our communities and our nation is filled. That's what he wants us to be filled with the fullness of the measure of God. And so if you're enjoying that imagining, do stick with it. But whilst we think about the more, I'd like us to think about the cost of what more really means. I think there are two different costs when we think about more of God. There's the price that Jesus paid. And there's the cost to ourselves. And so first of all, let's look at the price that Jesus paid. We've sung about it today already, that amazing hymn we sang at the beginning, didn't we? How great thou art. When I think that God, his son, not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. And many of you will know that wonderful verse in John chapter 3, and it's verse 16, and it says, God loved the world so much he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And you may be very familiar with the story, the true story that God made us for friendship with him. But we have all messed up. We all sin, we all do the wrong stuff, and that breaks that friendship. And God was broken-hearted as a result of that. He didn't want us to be distanced from him. And so he sent his only son, he sent Jesus, to die on the cross after living a perfect life and to pay the penalty, to pay the price for the stuff that we do wrong. What an amazing gift. And the price he paid Sometimes when we talk about it, we sing about it a lot, we kind of forget what that cost was. You know, I don't know if any of you saw that movie recently, The Shack. Anyone see that? Yeah, a few folk did. And it just gave a really interesting picture about God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit kind of living together. And they're living together in this shack and they're all kind of a bit different to the way that you might have expected to see them. But what struck me about that movie was they were just having a ball. They were in wonderful friendship together. They were in love relationship together. And they were contented and happy. And that was how life should be. And that is how life should be for us. And yet, God chose to break open that friendship, that relationship, and send Jesus. And when Jesus came to the earth... He lost that connection with his father in the same way, that he gave that up for us. And he came, and many of you will know, he lived a life where he was very poor and completely misunderstood and misrepresented, and his best friends betrayed him. And he was taken to die on a cross, not deserving it. And that was the most torturous form of death that you could, could have at that time. 
And he chose to do that. He chose to go that way. So incredibly, he paid that price. And in a little while, we're going to be remembering that and celebrating that as we share communion together. But also, there is a price that we need to pay. And that sounds funny, doesn't it? When you think about what we gain when we are reconnected with God, it feels a bit odd to say, well, you know, sure, anything's worth that price. But the Bible's quite clear that when we're choosing to follow Jesus, we actually need to count the cost of what it is to follow him. And I was just going to read now from John. No, it's not. Sorry, it's from Luke. And it's chapter 15. And you have to bear with me because I've... Here we go. In fact, it's Luke chapter 14. And the thing was that Jesus had large crowds of people who were following him around. Lots of people were trying to follow him and hang out with him. It was very cool being around Jesus. You never really knew what was going to happen next. People were getting healed miraculously. People were getting fed in huge numbers. He was coming up against the Pharisees and the teachers of the laws and completely turning their teaching and understanding of God on its head. It was an amazing time. But Jesus said, this isn't just about a party. There is a cost involved. So from verse 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundations and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. And we're just going to pause it there. So the crowds were around him and Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, then you need to hate the rest of your family. Well, that sounds pretty extreme, doesn't it? But the reason he's using that word is a comparison thing. He's saying, if you, it's not like, if you don't love me so much that it feels like you're hating the rest of your family, then that's not enough. I'm calling you to put me the very first. There's no other competition here. I've got to be first. I've got to be most. I've got to be best in your life. And that's quite a high call that he calls us to, isn't it? And then he goes on to say, you need to carry your cross and follow me. You know, we talk about being disciples of Jesus or followers, or when Chris was talking in the summer, he was talking about us being apprentices of Jesus, about living lives that were like him. And as we know, he carried his cross. He literally, physically, whilst he could, carried a cross and lived that life of sacrifice. And that is what we're called to too. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. And then he talks about this interesting thing about reckoning. And as Paul's mentioned, you know, we're going to be um, starting some building work in a couple of weeks' time. And this process has felt like it's been coming a long, long time. You know, you've seen the pictures on the wall for many months. And we've done all kinds of notes and papers and calculations. And we've looked at how many doors we need and what size door handles we need and how much they cost and all that kind of stuff. And it's written down in incredible detail. Because we need to know before we start this building work that we've actually got enough money to finish it. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying following me is a hard call. And I want you to be really aware about the cost that it might, that it's going to be. I don't want you just to start this on a whim, but I want you to know that this is going to cost you everything. You know, next week, we're baptizing two folk. We've got Emily and Aidy being baptized in the morning. And when they're baptized, it's a picture of what happens when we choose to follow Jesus. 
And in Romans chapter 6, it says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And you know, sometimes when we think about baptism, because there's water there, we think about being washed clean. And when we choose to follow Jesus, it's kind of like we are washed clean. The stuff that we've done wrong is washed away. You know, I heard J. John this week talking. He said, Jesus didn't come to rub it in. He came to rub it out. He didn't come to say, oh, you've done terrible things and you're not living right with God. He came to say, let me wash that away. But you know, the picture in the Bible is even more extreme than that. It's not just like we're washed. But when the people come into the baptistry next week, when they go down the steps... They're showing a symbolic, it's a symbolic act that actually they've died. I was wondering, I was wearing the wrong cardigan because I thought if I'd worn an old cardigan, I could have taken this off and got a knife and sliced it up. And I only had that idea when I was in the ladies. I thought, no, I'm not slicing up that cardigan. But the point is true. The point is that as we go down into the water, the symbol is that we have died The old self, the old Joe, the old person is dead. And then as we come out again, it shows us that here is the new Joe. This is the new person, a new creation in Jesus. And if you're somebody who's been following for Jesus for a while, it's really common for us to be struggling with stuff, to feel that there are sins and stuff that we carry around and we can't get rid of. And do you know what really struck me this week? I was really blown away by a verse, and I think I've got it, which is not that one, it's this one. When the the women went to, to the tomb early on the Sunday morning, on Easter Sunday, they ran to the tomb because they were allowed then to go and see where Jesus was and to deal with his body. And when they got there, the, the stone had been rolled away. There was nobody there. And the angel said, why are you looking for him? He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. And that jumped out at me this week. Because I thought, that is my verse for now. When temptation comes, which of course it does, it does for all of us. When that voice says, why don't you just go back to the biscuit tin one more time because you'll feel better. Joe, why don't you do this? Then that verse is the one that I need to remember. I need to remember... Joe is not here. She's risen, just as he said. We have died. Our old life, the old stuff, the sin is dead and left. And we are new creations. That is who we are if we're followers of Jesus. Now, even as I say this, I think that's really easy to say. And I don't know what your thing is, but maybe when the voice comes which says, oh, Tony, why don't you go and get another drink? Oh, Loretta, why don't you just look at some porn on the the computer? Oh, Michelle, I'm using names of people I don't think are here, so if you're here, it's not because I know your stuff. But when the voice comes and says, this is where you need to find your comfort, you need to say, no, I'm not there anymore. You're looking in the wrong place. Because in accepting Jesus' death on the cross, I have become a new person. And that is true for you.
if that's what you choose to do. Now the thing about this is, wouldn't it be wonderful if it were just that easy? The cost comes in the fact that we actually have to do some things about this. That the Holy Spirit is there within us and alongside us to help us make these great decisions. But we're the ones who have to decide. We can't just sit back and say, oh, come on, Holy Spirit, just stop me going to the biscuit tin or stop me having that drink or stop me turning the computer on. We're the ones who have to actually take those steps and do those things. And that's where we come into Luke chapter 9. Oh, clicking that way, thank you. Because as we just heard in that other passage, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So what does it mean to deny ourselves? Well, if you deny something, you say that it's not there. You know, when Jesus was um, being questioned, you may well know the story that Peter denied him three times. People said to him, oh, you know that guy, don't you? And Peter said, no, never heard of him, no idea who he is. And yet we're being asked here to deny ourselves in the same way to say, no, Joe's not here anymore. She was left behind. The old Joe is gone. So we have to deny ourselves. We have to take up our cross daily. Do you know, crucifixion, as I've said already, was the most awful form of torture. And crucifixion wasn't just a makeover. When you were crucified, you were dead for good. That was it. There was no coming back. And for different ones of us, dying to ourselves looks like different things. It might be that it's a case of choosing what we do for a job. It might be a case of that God is asking us to get up early in the morning and to spend more time praying. And denying ourselves is saying, actually, I'm not going to snuggle under the duvet for another 20 minutes. I'm going to get up. It might be that denying ourselves is thinking about how we're spending our money. Because God's asking us to give it to somebody else. And actually, we would really like the new next size telly. Denying ourselves means all kinds of things to each one of us. And that is a wonderfully personal thing about being a follower of Jesus. But this isn't just a one-size-fits-all, but this is a friendship and a relationship as we walk with him. And then the last part of that verse is about following Jesus. When you follow someone, they're the one who leads the way. They're the ones who shows you which way to go. I was listening to an illustration this week. Many of you will know that if you choose to follow Jesus, if you become a Christian, it's like inviting him into the car which represents your life. And the question is, whereabouts is he in the car? I heard J. John speaking and he said, have you put him in the boot? Do you let him out once a week on a Sunday for the religious happy hour? And then after the service, you kind of send him back in there and lock the boot until next week. Would you say, no, Jesus is actually properly in the car of my life? Well, just think for a minute. Whereabouts is he? Is he sitting on the back seat, kind of as a passenger? Is he alongside as a companion? Or is he actually driving the car? And if he is, are you still being a backseat driver? For many of us, 
actually Jesus' position in our car can change, can change week to week, day to day, even within a day. And as we come to communion in a minute, I just love us to reflect and think. So where are we in our following Jesus? And where is Jesus in our lives? It might be today for the very first time you want to say, Jesus, come and get in the car with me. Jesus, I want to say thank you for what you've done and I want to give my life to you. I want to live your way today and as I go ahead. It might be that as you reflect, you just think, actually, I've not been living like my old self has been left behind. I've not been living like a new person. I've been trying to have my cake and eat it. I've been pretending that I've, or I've been living as if I'm trying to follow Jesus, but I am just keep going back to the old things. Or it might be that you're just in a place to celebrate and say, Jesus, you are driving my car, and I love that. And please, would you carry on doing that? And so we're going to have a time to reflect in a moment. We're going to be thinking about communion, which is when we remember meal that Jesus had with his friends we take bread and we take wine and we remember what Jesus did as he died on the cross it's an opportunity for us to repent for us to say sorry and to turn around where we know we've been going the wrong way where we know we've slipped up where we know we've been making those bad choices and it's a great opportunity to celebrate and give thanks when we are forgiven and made new. I don't know, maybe one week we will have one of those paint parties after communion to celebrate that. Because it is a solemn occasion, but it's also an incredible celebration. And then we have an opportunity to, again, surrender wholeheartedly, to invite him to be in the driving seat of our lives. I don't want us to rush into communion this morning. Sometimes we kind of add it on at the end of the service. But what I'd love us to do is to take our time individually to reflect. And we're just going to kind of loop those last few pictures around, which remind us about taking time to remember and to be thankful and to celebrate and to surrender. And it might be before you come and take communion in one of the four stations that we'll have, that you actually want to get a Bible out and read actually what Jesus did do, what he went to at the cross. If you'd like to, there are some Bibles, if you haven't got one with you, just um, on the base of the pillar over there towards the back. Go and grab one. And you might like to look at Matthew chapter 28. You can find that in the index if you don't know where to look. It might be that you just want to spend some moments quietly reflecting, remembering the things that have happened this week or even this day that you want to say that you're sorry for. It might be that you want to just celebrate and say thank you. And it might be that you want to surrender wholeheartedly again. And some of those things that you were imagining right at the beginning about what more of God might look like in your life and in those around you, come to mind and you want to offer those back to him. So I'm going to pray now. And then in a moment, I'm going to invite David to come and play quietly on his guitar. And also we're going to have the communion service who are going to go and stand in the four stations. 
we have bread and we have wine. And here, if you somebody who knows and loves Jesus, or you'd like to come to Moment for the first time today, we would love you to come and share in the bread and the wine. We tend to break off some bread and just dunk it in the wine. That's how we do it here. And if you need gluten-free, that's going to be over towards my left, your right. But there is no hurry in this. So let's, if you're a communion server, perhaps you'd be kind enough to come and take the bread and wine now and go and stand on one of your stations. And then the rest of us can have some time to think and pray and reflect. And when you are ready, then you can go and take communion and go back to your seat. So why don't we stand together and I'm going to pray and then take this time. Jesus, thank you that there is more, more understanding of who you are and what you've done and who we are in the light of that. Thank you for the gift of this really simple meal to keep reminding us. And we welcome you, dear Holy Spirit, and we say, would you come and help us? Would you come and make it so that this is real to us in this moment, the real understanding of what you did? And of what that means to us. And thank you that you speak to us individually. And we just welcome your voice of encouragement and conviction and of love and of forgiveness.